So we're excited. Some of you are like, that is the most anticlimactic thing to celebrate six months? Really? I know. It's kind of like you were hoping for more. It's kind of like watching a Kevin Costner movie. You were hoping so much more, but you always leave disappointed. So some of you are like, Kevin, who? You just, you know, uh, your parents, you know. Some of you ladies may have had a crush on him back in the day. But anyway, we are so glad that you are here. I like to celebrate any milestone that we can. I remember when we first had our first Megan when she was born. I'm telling you what, everything she did, we took pictures of, we talked about it, we put it up on Facebook. I mean, as soon as anything happened, and then we had Austin. And it's like the first one, they get their own photo shoots, they get everything. I mean, Chris is all about them, birthday's huge. They get a birthday party, you're celebrating every month. And then Austin came along, and it's kind of like, uh, should we take a picture of him? Yeah, we kind of need to. It's terrible, isn't it? If you go down our hallway, you'll see all these family pictures, and then you'll see, like, Megan, like, the transformation. Austin, it's like the same pictures, just different poses. So that's what we've resorted to. But it's good to celebrate every milestone because we need to always be looking back and saying, look what God has done, look at how good he's been. And we're going to celebrate today, and I'm excited. Twelve people are going to be getting baptized today, so that's exciting. We're going to have a lunch afterward. Yes, that is worth getting excited about, people getting baptized. Amen. Wonderful. We're excited that you're here. If you are a first-time guest, you are our VIP. We are honored that you would come, you would visit us here in the movie theater. We're excited to have you. It's a little different, um, but we're, we're, we make it our place of home on the weekend. So we're excited to have you here. This morning's message, the title is a little bit different. It's simply this. It's time. That's my title. It's time. Can we say that together? It's time. Can we say it one more time with a little bit more uh, feeling? It's time. It's time. Um, And some of you are like, I like saying it, but what does it mean? It's so abstract. It's just kind of out there. Yeah, you can kind of apply it to so many things. And we're going to deal with some things this morning out of the book of Deuteronomy. And um, I know book of Deuteronomy is kind of one of those minute books, hard to find. If um, it's in the Old Testament, and if you're like me, it's okay. You can go to the index, or um, you can use your iPhone app or your iPad, whatever you use. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter number one. And then from there, we're going to be running and gunning through several different passages But we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter number one. The verses will be on the screen, and it also will be in your bulletin, in the handout, in the notes, if you got that. You see, I've entitled this message, It's Time, because I'm so worried that many people don't understand that we have been given this moment. We've been given this time, and we need to be good stewards of it. We need to use it for God's honor and for God's glory. In high school, I worked a part-time job, and back then, minimum wage, I made 50 cents more than minimum wage. So I was making a whopping 6.25 an hour, and that was 50 cents above minimum wage. I mean, I'm telling you what, if I would have been making minimum wage now, 10.25, 10.10, whatever it is in San Jose, that would have been good. Um, when I started out, it was 5.75, and gas was $1.38, Chevron, it was $1.50. You know, those are the good old days, all right? How many remember gas being in a dollar? You remember that? I remember taking family trips across country, and you can go to the southern part of the United States, and we bought it for 68 cents for a gallon. Can you believe that? It's just like crazy. Some of you were like, I remember when it was fun. No, we won't go that far back, okay? But just we've been to the past. We've seen it. We remember those days. And I'll go back to where I used to work as a high school job, and it's now 15 years later, and I'll go back. And my manager, when I was there, is still there. Some of the people that we were, this is just kind of a high school job, they're still there. 
And this isn't a career job. This is entry-level minimum wage type work. And here they are, 15 years later, stuck. Stuck. I meet believers, I meet Christians, who they'll come week after week, and they still got the same problem. They're stuck. I meet some people, and they constantly, you know, not that they hate their job, but they're just kind of like, oh, this job, this job, this job. And they're stuck. I meet people and they'll be in a relationship and not necessarily a marriage relationship, but then they'll say, I don't like the way this is going and they just feel stuck in it. There's people and they'll be going through spiritual things and they'll say, I feel stuck. Well, this morning, I got two words for you. It's time. It's time to say, we're going to do something different because what we're doing now is not working too well. Where my spiritual life is now is not where I want to end up. I want to keep going and growing. Where I want to be 20 years from now, I want to move farther along. And so it comes to that point where it says, I want to grow. Some of you, you've been making promises for years. You've been saying to your son, I will build you that tree house. Well, now your son is in college and tree houses just aren't cool anymore, if you notice that. Unless you put AC, PS4, and Wi-Fi in it, then even pastors like those kind of tree houses, okay? Those are pretty cool. But I'm telling you what, we make these promises and we don't ever act on them. We don't ever move forward in the future. So this morning, can we say it again? It's time. Look at your neighbor, touch him and say, hey, it's time. It's time. Because some of you, you've been sitting still and you haven't been moving on. And I'm here to challenge you this morning. It's our six-month anniversary. And it'd be very easy for us to say, you know what? This last six months has been pretty good. We start off in a little smaller theater. We've already gone to a little bit bigger. We're going to baptize 12. Kind of seems like things are pretty good. And we can just kind of kind of put the brakes on things. And we can stop staying hungry for what God is doing. And we can lose our momentum. And we can lose what God wants to do. But I'm going to challenge us from Deuteronomy chapter number 1 that we've always got to stay hungry. That we've got to keep pressing on. I wrote this down. We have a divine opportunity awaiting our obedience. You have a divine opportunity awaiting your obedience. It's a God-given moment. God placed you at this time, in this place, in this city, in this purpose to reach people for the gospel. And God said, hey, it's time. We got to act. Some of us, you, we've just kind of been sitting on our blessed assurance and just kind of, hey, what, what am I going to do? And I'm going to call us out this morning. Your Bibles are open to Deuteronomy chapter number one. I want to begin reading just the first six verses. I'm going to read a little bit more just to give us proper context of the word of God this morning. But we'll start in verse number one of Deuteronomy chapter number one. It's good to be in church. I'm excited to be with you guys. I look forward to this all week long. So thank you for coming this morning. The Bible says verse number one, these be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. They are in the wilderness. Where are they, church? In the wilderness, okay? The children of Israel, they're going to march into the promised land, but right now they're not in the promised land. Right now they're in the wilderness, okay? Some of you may feel like your life spiritually is in the wilderness. It's barren, it's dead, it's dry. It's not the full blessings of God. It's wilderness. So here's the children of Israel. They're in the wilderness, but I want you to see something that's interesting. The children of Israel find contentment in the wilderness, okay? It says, and, and they were in the wilderness in the plain over against the Red Sea between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. The, there are 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. 
And it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, according unto all that the Lord had given him, and the commandment unto them. I want you to see in verse number two, it says, it's 11 days from Egypt where they came out of Egypt to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is in the promised land, okay? It's an 11-day journey. It's taken them 80 years to get there. You see, here's what can happen. You might be in a bad situation, but it's amazing how we can just kind of just stay there in that situation. There's people, they know they're in a relationship that's an abusive or they know they're in a job that's just not working, but we can just stay there. You and I, we talk about how we're not really content. The reality is we're not content with our iPhone. We want the latest and greatest. We're not content with our car, but we can get into spiritual slumps and we can get into jobs and we just stay there. As long as we can keep buying new gadgets, going out to dinner and doing that stuff and meet the materialistic side, we can stay in all kinds of things. The children of Israel said, hey, we got manna coming, got a pillar of fire, got a pillar of cloud, God's with us, Moses with us, and it's a desert, it's wilderness, but I can make it work. God has so much more for you than the wilderness, okay? God has so much more, and I'm going to challenge us to go out. I'm going to challenge us because it's time. It's an 11-day journey. Some of you, God has called you to do great things. God is calling you out, and it really is just a short 11-day journey, but you're turning this into a much longer journey by your own actions and choices and i'm praying this this morning you will correct some wrong actions and choices let's pick it up in verse number four after he had slain sihon the king of the amorites which were in heshbon and og the king of bashan and dwelt at astroth in in Dreri, on this side of jordan in the land of moab began moses to declare this law saying the lord our god spake unto us in horeb saying ye have dwelt long enough in this mount And that's where I get my title from. It's time. There was a generation before this generation. They marched in the wilderness 40 years. It's an 11-day journey. That's not that far walking. So for 40 years, they just went in circles. That's not a big space. So for 40 years, yep, I've seen that cactus before. Yep, I've seen that rock before. Oh, I remember this spot. Yeah, I remember seeing that dead animal carcass over there. Huh, it's all looking very familiar and some of you your decisions you're like man i feel like i've done this before this is the third or fourth job i've been fired from man this is just a repeating vicious cycle and i'm here to say just like moses told the children of israel hey you've dwelt long enough in this mountain hey you've been in this situation long enough it's time to move on see the children of israel have been at mount seir mount seir they were there one entire year they camped out at this mount this is just before Moses is about to pass away, and they spent an entire year there. They had found some place of contentment in the wilderness, and I'm worried that some of us can find that contentment. But verse number seven of the same passage says, turn you and take your journey and go to the Mount of the Amorites unto the place nigh thereunto in the plain and the hills and in the vale and in the south by the seaside to the land of the Canaanites and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord your God swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Grace Heavenly Father, I thank you. I give you all the honor and glory for six months of this new church. I thank you for the people that are here. I pray that they would receive a word from you this morning. I pray that you would touch hearts and lives. I pray that you would challenge people that they're stuck. I pray that you would call them out. I pray that this morning where they would hear this challenge, that it's time that they would find something in their life to apply this challenge to. I pray that you would grow us. I pray that you'd build us. I pray that we would be a church of, of great impact and great influence. I thank you for our guest here. I pray that they would receive a blessing. 
We love you. We thank you for your graciousness to us. Pray that your word of, word of God would speak to our hearts now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It's time. Can we say it one more time? It's time. I'm going to beat that into your brain. You're going to walk out today, and that's all you're going to be able to say, okay? It's going to be like a really annoying song. It's time. It's time. You say, but it's time to what? First of all, it's time to move on from the past and into your promise. It's time to move on from the past and into your promise. That's what Moses is telling the children of Israel. God made a promise, not just to you personally, not just to your fathers, but let's go back Four or five hundred years to Abraham, God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis chapter number 12. He said, your descendants would be like the sand of the seashore. Your descendants would be like the stars of the heaven. He said, and I'm going to give you this whole land. So the promise that God gave the children of Israel goes back to Genesis. And they still hadn't claimed their promise. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever met people that they're always talking about what they're going to do? They've never acted on it. They're great at starting, but they never finish. And I'm telling you what, there is this epidemic in the children of Israel. They have found contentment in wandering in the wilderness. And God is saying, hey, through Moses, his man, hey, it's time to go, guys. It's time to possess our promise. But to do so, we've got to move on from the past. I'm going to ask you to turn to another scripture, Joshua chapter number five and verse number 11. We're going to get there in a moment. But as you're turning there, I'm going to read a verse. The Bible says in Philippians 3, 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here he's reaching forward. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes when we talk about the past, many times we look back and the past gets better the farther we're removed from it. I'm not very tall, but man, I'll tell you what, if we start talking about basketball, I'll tell you how good I was. I may just tell you I, sl- I made slam dunks, and you're like, no way. But the older I get, the better I was. We always look back on the past, and we make it out to seem like it was so great. My wife, she'll tell stories about how we met, and I'll try to spin it like it was so much better or something happened. And she's like, that's not how it happened. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah no, I was awesome. And uh, uh, remember, I worked out, and I looked like this, and she was like, no, you didn't. Now, you know, I'm like, come on, help me out here. And, and the past always seems so much better. So sometimes for some of us, we look back on the past, we're stuck in it because it was great. Because you were the man, you were the girl in high school. But all of a sudden in college, and all of a sudden now in life, you're always looking back to the glory days, trying to relive those. And you're trying to live in that past so you can never go on in the future. You can never go on to your promise. Or it's this, your past is negative. Your past has some definite scars. There was some abuse in your past. There were some things that you look back and it brings hurt, it brings shame, and it's got you tied down, it's got you handcuffed, and you're feeling like, I can't move on in my promise because I got this past that I'm dealing with, and I'm telling you what, it's time to move on from the past and into our promise. It's time to move on. God has so much for us this morning. Your Bibles are open to Joshua chapter number five. And I was reading, and I want to show you something in verse number 11 of Joshua number five. Here, the children of Israel, they've crossed over. They're now in the promised land. And something amazing happens in verse number 11. The Bible says, and this is speaking of the children of Israel, and they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened bread, cakes, and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Say the manna ceased. Manna 
the manna ceased. You say, what's significant about the manna ceasing? God for 80 years had sustained the children of Israel off of that manna. They didn't have to pray about food. They didn't have to have faith for that food. It just came. And they just ate. They just filled up. God sent them quail. God sustained them through that wilderness and wilderness wandering. God sustained them. But all of a sudden they came into their promise and God said, okay, the man is ceasing now. And some of you would say, well, that's a mean God. Man, we're about to go fight battles. We're going to the promised land and you're just going to cut off your supply. You're just going to cut it off. And God's saying, wait a minute, hold on now, stop. I do things differently in the land of promise than I do in the wilderness. You see, there's two different mentalities. There's the wilderness mentality. God bless me, take care of me, watch over me. But then there's the promised land mentality that says, God, you've given me a job to do. You've given me a battle to fight. I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to possess this now. It's a different mentality. You see, God said he was a good way. I sustained you in a good way, but I don't do that anymore. You see, some of us, we want to get stuck in a moment, don't we? We want to get stuck in the past. We want to get stuck in 1954. We're going to sing the same songs. We're going to dress the same way, and we just get stuck, and we never move on. Or we want to preserve this, and we say, this is so great, and let's preserve it. And God said, I want to do a new thing. God says, my mercies are new every day and I want to pour them out. And we're saying, no, no, God, I want this old, stale, moldy manna. And you're trying to get life from it. You're trying to get nutrition from it. And God said, I stopped doing that. Why are you trying to squeeze out revival out of that? Why are you trying to squeeze out blessing out of that? God says, the promised land, the promised land, there's a different mentality that's got to come, church. You see, there's got to come a point when you spiritually say, you know what? I'm going to go from the point where the church is all about bless me, feed me, take care of me, meet my needs, to the point where, where can I serve? What can I do? Because it's, a, it's no longer a wilderness mentality. It's the possession mentality. This is mine. I'm going to take ownership of it. God has entrusted to me. It is my promise, and God's given it to me, and I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to take ownership of this. That is the mentality that God wanted the children of Israel to have, a possession mentality. But some of us, we, can, we just say, no, 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 I want to stay in the wilderness mentality. We need to possess the promise. You say, if we get stuck in the past, we miss out on our purpose. Some people, they get stuck in a moment. Can I tell you what happens when you get stuck in a moment, church? You'll lose your momentum. Momentum's key. It's key for business, key for a church, key for your family. You're gonna go and you're hear a message on marriage or parenting, and all of a sudden, you're fired up about being the right spouse. You're fired up about being the right type of parent. You're fired up about loving that person. But all of a sudden, the momentum wears off, and all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, I don't have the momentum. I just don't feel it anymore. I'm just not feeling it. See, when we get stuck in a moment, we lose our momentum, and then we turn into a dead monument. You can go to parts of Europe, and there's beautiful churches everywhere. Beautiful churches. And they charge you admittance to get in. You say, why? Because they're not churches anymore. They're museums. And you pay to get in. You pay to see the stained glass windows. You pay to hear somebody play the organ. You pay to go see the seats. It's not about church. It's not about God anymore. What used to be a wonderful moment that God used, what used to be a movement, what used to have momentum, is now a museum. And soon enough, it will be a memory. I don't know about you, church, but I don't want to turn into a memory. If we were to close, if God forbid, if something had happened, this church would go away, 
I'd want this community to cry out, where is Southridge Baptist Church? Where are they? They left a hole, not just that they had donuts and coffee on Sunday morning, and that's where I went for my donuts and coffee, but there was something about those people. I like those people. There was something about the way they lived. There was something about the way they said talk. There was something different about them. It was real with them. You see, folks, we can get stuck in the past and we'll miss out on our purpose. I was doing my devotions this week. My devotions were out of Rocky 1, 2, and 3. I'd never seen them. And man, I'll tell you what, it was like getting saved all over again. It was amazing. Oh, I, you're not, you don't expect that. You're past to watch movies. I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't. I didn't watch movies. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no movies. No, I did. I'd never seen them. All right, don't look at me like that. You've seen them. And uh, I, it, it inspired me. It moved me. And the third one, Apollo Creed comes to uh, Rocky after he had lost to Clobber. And he says, hey, baby, you lost the eye of the tiger. And I was like, that'll preach. I said, that's good. I was taking notes. I was reading. And I was like, that's really good. You've lost it. I look at Christians, and they used to be fired up about going to church. They were there early. They used to be fired up about their marriage. They used to be fired up about Jesus Christ. But they lost that eye of the tiger. I thought about playing that theme song this morning as you came in. Dun, dun, dun. I thought about wearing the sweats and everything. But then I was like, no, it's too cheesemo for this six-month anniversary. We've got to be dignified. We've got guests here, okay? So we, all, we, we, we dressed up a little bit for you. But I'm telling you what, there's that, that, that thought there that we can lose it. And you know when you've lost it. You know when now you're just going through the motions and it's like, oh, got to barely drag yourself to church. You just got to, man, it's so hard to get in your Bible. You can't even remember the last time it wasn't a Sunday that you actually opened up your Bible and you read the word of God for you to get food for you, for your soul, because you lost it. There's something that's missing in your life. You see, God doesn't just want to move you out of the wilderness just to move you out of the wilderness. Some of you are like, God just saved me, just deliver me from this wilderness. And God's saying, no, no, I don't just bring you out of the wilderness to take you out of the wilderness. I don't just take you out of Egypt to take you out of Egypt. I take you out to bring you in. You got your Bibles? I know this is, this is crazy. We're doing like Bible jujitsu. Deuteronomy chapter number six. Go back, go back, go back. Deuteronomy chapter number six. I love this verse. And here's what he said. He's talking to the children of Israel and he's telling them, he's saying when it came to pass, oh, I had it marked. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter number six. You got to see this, all right? I hope you don't mind. We like to use a lot of the Bible. The Bible's all good. You can go anywhere if you want, but uh, I'm going to be in Deuteronomy chapter number six. It says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all the households before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware to our fathers. God brought us out to bring us in. God brings you out of something, not just to take you out, church, but to bring you into something. Some of you are tied up in your past. God's given you deliverance from it but you don't have freedom from it. There's a difference between deliverance from something and freedom from something. Yeah, that person that used to abuse you, they're not in your life anymore. But yet, you don't have freedom because you keep remembering it. You keep playing it over and over in your mind. So yes, you have deliverance from it. You don't have the drug addiction. You don't have all the other problems anymore. But still, you keep playing that over in your mind. You keep meditating on your mistakes 
And so you don't ever get past it. Yes, you have deliverance. God has done, you, you've gotten saved. You say, God, you've just brought me out. But God said, I've got so much more for you, church. I've got a promise for you to possess. We've got to come all the way. But God said, hey, I'm, I'm the man of the sea, so I'm going to do something new. You see, God had put some things inside of the children of Israel that he had been developing. You see, God has deposited something inside of you that you've got to develop. You've got to let it work out. And you've got to keep growing in this. You see, if we get stuck in a moment, if we get stuck in the past, we'll miss out on a purpose. And some of you say, but my pain, my past, I got so much, so much pain. Assign your pain a purpose and turn your grief into growth. I don't have time to develop it. Let's go to the next part. Here's the second thing. It's time to make God's promise my possession. God's promise my possession. You see, in Joshua chapter number one, we see God coming to Joshua and telling Joshua, he said this, he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, thou and all this people under land, which I give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses from the wilderness unto Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. No man shall be able to stand against you. God said to Joshua, hey, I've given it to you. It's time to make God's promise my possession. God has given us exceeding great and precious promises, the Bible says. But are you possessing those promises? They're they're just kind of out there. You're never taking what God has said in his word and making it yours. You're saying, no, this is is my promise. Some of you, you're you're worried about what's going to happen. And God's saying, hey, look to me. I've made these promises that I'll help you. See, Moses was reminding the people of why they were doing this. Sometimes we need to be reminded of of why we need to possess the land, of why we need to claim the promise, of the why. And Moses in Deuteronomy was telling the people, hey, this is what God's called you to do. God is taking care of you, but now we need to move forward but some of us were saying you know what i I don't know about this whole moving forward i don't know about claiming that promised land would you if if you're still in joshua 5 there's so much i'm sorry and i'm i'm all out of out of order but notice if you would joshua chapter number five and let's start in verse number two through verse number five i'm going to bring out something interesting the bible says and at that time the lord said unto joshua make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of israel the second time And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Now you're saying that's a whole lot of circumcision. It's a Sunday morning. This is a weird topic. Only I would do this. I know this is weird. Okay. Track with me, okay? Please, track with me. And all the women are saying, amen, it's good to be a woman here today, all right? Now, we're talking about this, this point where God said, hey, the ones that came out of Egypt, there was some cutting away. There was, a, there was a separation. It was a picture of separation. It was a picture of paying a price. You see, God said this next generation, if they're gonna claim the promise, they still have to pay their price. What the fault in the church has been in recent years is we don't ask anybody to ever pay a price anymore. We want Christianity that doesn't cost anything. We want a Christianity that, yes, give me Jesus, give me grace, give me love, give me hope, give me mercy, give me stuff, 
But don't give me a bloody cross. Don't give me persecution. Don't make me stand out for Christ. I want all the good, but I don't want this. I'm telling you what, Christianity is not a smorgasbord where you get to kind of pick and choose what you want. You see, this generation had to pay a price. And God said, before you go in, you've got to pay a price. I could tell you what, sometimes the temptation as a parent is to make things easier for my children than I had it. And you parents understand that. You worked for everything you had. You earned it. You worked hard. And it's easy just to kind of give it to your kid. I remember my first car. It was a 1984 Honda Accord. The thing was ghetto. It was ugly. And it cost $1,200. But I paid every dollar of that. It was mine. It was a five-speed. Rarely worked. The AC didn't work. And it would overheat. So I had to run the heater. And I grew up in Fresno. Fresno's triple digits. So in the middle of the summer, you got the windows down. And you got the heater cranked up so that car doesn't overheat. That was my car. And I love my car. God God had provided it. I had it. My parents didn't give it to me. I still took care of it. That was my car. And I'm not against parents that buy their children cars, but I'm amazed that we don't ask anybody to pay a price. We want to make it so easy. I've seen the difference between someone who's bought their own car and someone who's been handed a car. They drive it very differently. My car was ugly. It was a beater, but I took care of it. Because every oil change came out of my pocket. Every tire change, that was me. I took care of it. It it, it was mine. I paid my hard-earned money for it. So I I treated it differently. God said, hey, this land, it's going to be yours. Yes, I provided it for you. I'm giving it to you. But you're still going to have to fight for it. Because I don't want this thing to just be, oh, I, I just got it. And it just came so easy. I'm afraid in the church, we, we, just, we just make things so easy in Christianity. And we're selling something. Christianity is going to be some battles. There is going to be some trials. There's going to be some tribulations. And we have to embrace that and understand that. You see, sadly, we ask this next generation, we ask them to risk too little. We don't want them to ever pay a price. I bet there's kids in here. Your parents would freak out if you ever rode in the back of a truck down the freeway. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. All the generation 30 and above. Oh, I saw a few teenagers. You just gave yourself away. Man, your parents are like giving you the look now. Bad time to raise your hand. But we remember that. If you're a parent, you're never going to let your kid do that. There's no way Megan's ever riding in the back of a truck going down the freeway. No way. I don't care if they got seatbelts or bailing twine. I don't care. I don't care if she's got a vice grip. Hang on. It's not happening. What about this? In high school, did you ever surf on the hood? of your car yeah that was the thing i've done that you mean it used to be you'd go up to the mountains and you'd find a big hill or cliff and it'd be 20 feet to the water and there's like one deep spot the rest of it's like three inches deep but you got to hit it at this little four by four pool that actually is 10 feet deep you got to hit it just right and we would do that kind of stuff but me letting megan do it no me letting megan become a missionary and go to africa me letting my children go off in a ministry me letting them serve on a mission trip. You see how this plays, folks? We never want them to risk. We ask the next generation to risk too little. And God's saying, if this generation is going to claim the promise, they've got to pay a price. There's got to be a price. You see, we ask the next generation not to risk. And what's happened is this next generation, they're afraid of failing. That's why they're 28 and 29 and 30. And the thing that they're most accomplished at is call of duty. And I'm sorry. Going to a job or interview. Call of Duty does not rank high with the job skill or expertise. But we've got a whole generation. They're they're afraid of failing because they've never risked anything. Also, we rescue too quickly. We don't have time 
But there's the passage of scripture about the prodigal son. The prodigal son left. He took half of his father's inheritance and he lived for himself. He lived it up. He partied, he drank, he did all kinds of stuff. Whatever he wanted to do, he did it. You know what's amazing? The father never rescued him out of that lifestyle. Even when the Bible says he had no more money, he was eating the pig's food. I've been to a pig's farm. I about gagged going in the barn where they keep those hogs. It's disgusting what they feed them. It's vile. It's nasty. And he was eating it because he was so hungry. You notice the Bible doesn't say the father showed up and said, here's my credit card. Here's my debit card. Here's an iPhone 5C, 64 gigs, unlimited data, unlimited everything. No, didn't do that. But what does the father do in that scenario? As soon as the son came back, the father did welcome him, did meet him. When he came back, then the father came in. When he got right, that's when the father stepped in. You see, we rescue so quick instead of letting them venture out. Also, we reward too frequently. Never give what should be earned. Never give what should be earned. We rescue, we reward, and we risk too little. Every generation must pay a price. Not only should every generation pay a price, I want you to see, if we skip the battle, we forfeit the blessing, church. There was a battle coming. Jericho is looming. There's a city that needs to be defeated. There's an army that needs to be taken down. And some of us say, I don't want to fight any battles. Then you're going to miss the blessing. There's a blessing on the other side of the battle. And we can't be afraid of it. Lastly, in our last few moments, number three, it's time to match my perspective with God's power. Joshua chapter number six, verse number one, the Bible says this. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof, the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war. Go round about the city once. Thou shalt do this six days. And seven priests shall bear before thee the ark, seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seven days shall compass the city seven times. And the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns. And when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. It's interesting. God said, I've given you a land, but here's a battle. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And God even says, hey, look at the city of Jericho. They're all shut up. They're all inside. There's nobody coming out, nobody going in. God said, I made it easy. They're all in one spot for you. And Joshua's like, this is an impenetrable fortress. I was doing a little bit of reading, a little bit of studying, and they said the city of Jericho only sat on eight acres of land. I grew up on 10 acres of land, so eight acres really isn't all that big. But there was thousands and thousands of people. These walls are 30 feet high. They're so wide that chariots could ride abreast along those city walls. This is huge. This is a fortress, church. But it's interesting. God said, see, I have given them to you. See, I have given them to you. And Joshua's saying, are we looking at the same city? Because I'm not seeing it. I see a fortress. I see guys with bows and arrows. And you want us to walk around it. Like, I'm not seeing what you're seeing, God. And God said, that's the point. You're not seeing what I'm seeing. You're seeing the natural. God says, you need to see the supernatural. You're saying, I'm seeing the divorce papers. You're saying, I'm seeing the test results. They're not coming back good. 
I'm seeing that my son, my daughter is still away from the Lord. I'm seeing this situation looks impossible. I'm faced with foreclosure. I'm faced with spiritual uh, battles. I'm faced with this. I don't see it. I'm here to tell you that God is saying, look not with spiritual, not with natural, but with the spiritual eyes. Look with my vision. Look at what God says. Look what God says about the situation. You see, when you and I start looking at the situation, how we can figure out and how we can handle it, we're always going to come up discouraged. Because I've noticed this about God. If I say, God, I got to have that check by Friday, because if it doesn't happen on Friday, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to feed my babies. I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. And God says, really, you have to have it on Friday? Yeah, I got to have to have it on Friday. All right, I'm going to wait till Saturday. What? Because God says, I like it when you're desperate. I like it when you're hungry. I like it when you need me. You see, that's embarrassing. That's humbling. That's the way God loves to work. Because God says you've got to learn to see something that looks impossible and look at it through the eyes of not your feelings. It's a faith thing, church, not a feeling thing. That's why the rest of the world, they can't understand you. They don't understand how you came out of those test results and you can still say, God is good. I don't know how it's going to work out, but God is in this situation. I don't know when God is going to bring back my children back home. I don't know how God is going to provide for the job. I don't know how God is going to provide for me, but I'm believing not with natural, but with supernatural. I'm putting my faith, not my feelings. And church, we're so driven about by our feelings, our experiences, our culture. We're so, that's what guides us. And we've got to be a church that says, you know what? We take the word of God and we say, God, give me a vision for what you see. Because we've got to get to the point where we see things the way God says about them. What God says, that's the way we need to see those things. Perception determines reality. You see, the children of Israel, they encamped against Gilgal. And here they are, they're looking at this obstacle and they're saying, there's no way. You see, God said, hey, I'm going to help you but I want you to see what he says. How are you seeing your situation this morning? Are you seeing it the way God says about it? Or are you just going around and putting it on Facebook? Man, it's depressing, it's hopeless, nothing ever is gonna work out. Are you just giving up? You're just, no, it's not gonna work out. You see church, friends, guests, God will call us into things that he may not always make a lot of sense. Joshua's plan does not make any sense. Militarily, it's not a smart strategy. Walk around the city, Trumpets instead of swords? This is not a new weapon. What is God thinking here? And God's saying, I want you to see things differently. Notice not only that, in the same chapter, in chapter number 6, Joshua adds something that God doesn't even tell him to do in verse number 10 of chapter 6. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. And this is important, church. I don't want you to miss this. You see, this is the same song. It's just the second verse. See, the children of Israel, they've been here before. They had been to the Jordan River when Joshua was a much younger man. And Joshua, with 10 others, they went to spy out the land of Canaan. Joshua and Caleb came back, the Bible says, with a good report. 10 others, they said, hey, it's a good land. They said, man, you should see it flows with milk and honey. This land is awesome. But then this, those 10, they said, but there's giants. And we're like grasshoppers to them. They're so big, we're like nothing. They're going to squish us. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. And they, these 10, 
then proceeded to turn the tide and to turn the momentum and to turn what could have been a moment of great success, a moment of great victory for God. And they began to turn the tide, began to turn the emotions, began to turn the heart of two million people to say, let's go back to Egypt. Ten men with their voices had that kind of power to sway two million. You say, well, what's the connection here? Is it any wonder that Joshua said, don't say a word? You see, Christian, if you can't say what God says about the situation, don't say anything. You're speaking out of turn. Until your heart comes in alignment with what God says about the situation, why say anything? Is it going to help it? Is it going to change it? Until you can say with the uh, word of faith, until your confession is that God is in control, that God hasn't abandoned me, I won't say a word. Until that moment. Until I know that my heart and my faith is ready. So don't give up too quickly. Don't be the first one that says, Divorce! Separation! I quit! Get out of this house! I hate you! I never want to be here! Don't let those words come out. Don't do it. Because we speak so quickly before we give God a chance to work. Come on, church. I need, some, I need a little help from you this morning. Come on. Are you in agreement with me? Am I right? Because there's a lot of times we just, my mouth gets me into more trouble than anything else. You're agreeing with me, like you know, like, oh yeah, pastor, I know. Jane has been talking to me. You see, folks, until we say, you know what, God? I want to have that Holy Spirit confidence that you are in this situation. I will not act. And Joshua was very wise, and he was saying, hey, we're not going to talk anything because I've been here, and they've discouraged the people. You see, doubt dies unborn if never spoken. Doubt dies unborn if never spoken. You know, folks, church plan, we've got other church planners here. It's exciting to have people that have been through this. You never know what's going to happen. I never know what to expect every Sunday. I never know how God's going to work. It's the most nerve-wracking thing on a Saturday night to go to sleep and say, I wonder who's going to be there tomorrow. And you're thinking, of course I'm going to be there. I don't know that. But yet in those moments, I experience such great doubt. And it doesn't take much to say, just stay home. You say, no, 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 you're the pastor. You got to come. You'll be amazed at how many times I'm like, what if I just tell everybody we'll just show a Christian film? We got the screen, you show up, we'll just watch a movie, we'll just do something. Why? Because it's so easy to give in to the way we feel and to give in to doubt. Also, when you see as God sees, then you will do what God says. And then notice this. You say, but, but, but God is calling me to something that's so big, it's beyond me. I don't have the power for this situation. I don't have the emotional fortitude to face that person, to face that situation. And God is saying, then you don't understand how power works. You see, I used to think that power was up to my ability. Hit the gym, man. Hit the weights. Get the protein. Get those stuff. And you just start pumping. And that's how you get more power. And that's how you get that eye of the tiger back. And you got to run. And you got to wear those shorts that are really short. And you got to get on the beach. And I, that's what I used to think. And then all of a sudden, don't say woo. That's like a horrible mental picture. Like, man, making me wonder. We have a good time at church. Church shouldn't be boring, amen? amen. All right, that was a weak amen. Church shouldn't be boring, amen? amen? Amen, I'm glad you're here. It's exciting to be in the house of God this morning. Power is not based on my ability, church. It's based on God's authority. All power in heaven and earth the Bible says, is given to God. So it's not based on my ability. 
It's based on God's authority. And when God says, go in and possess your promise, that's where your power comes from. It's not your ability. It's not your charisma. We've got amazing talent. We've got amazing people in this room. But I'm here to tell you that your power comes from God and it's by his authority, not your ability. I don't care how good of a salesman that you are. I don't care how talented, how good looking you are, what you can do and what your resume may look like and how much money you've acquired and your skills and your ability to make and and, and shake things up. It is God who's working and it's God who uses you and it is his authority authority that he's given to you church so don't you face some big obstacle and think it's all up to me no it's all up to god he brought you to it he will bring you through that and we've got to get to that point where we understand this is god that's doing it but you know though as i studied the word power and where god gives us power i couldn't help but go to john 1 12 it says but as many as received him to them gave he power to beat the devil no it's not what it says Gave you power to be a great Christian. That's not what it says. Power to become the sons of God. Wow. Some of you, we're talking about it's time. It's time. It's time for you to move out of this lethargy that you're in. It's time to move out of this spiritual slump that you're in. It's time to move into action. It's time to get in gear. It's time to get involved. It's time to possess your promise. It's time, but also for some of you, you came because you were invited, and this is all brand new to you. I'm telling you this morning, it's time for you to say, I need to receive Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior. That's the first step why God gave his power. For that reason, God said, that's why I gave you this time, this moment. And for some of you, that's the decision you need to make. To put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Not in anything else. In Jesus Christ. Not in some other person. Not in some other religion. Not in your works. Not in your good looks. But in Jesus Christ. And I know in our secularized, polarized uh, society, it's just so easy to say, you know what, this isn't PC. And it's all about Jesus Christ. Our faith and trust must be be in him because i want you to understand something before you chose to live for god god chose to live in you he made the choice to send his son long before ever you existed he said before you chose me i chose you i chose you he wants to be in your life he wants to change it turn it all around he said because without him there's no possession of that promised land it's all through him We don't have time. We don't have time, church. But in chapter number one, God tells Joshua, pack victuals for a three-day journey. You say, what's significant about a three-day journey? Joshua, the root word of his name is Yeshua. Root word of the name Jesus is also Yeshua. Picture of salvation. Three-day journey. How many days was Jesus Christ in the tomb? Three days. Three days, you're crossing over the Jordan. Jordan, picture of divide between the old life and the new. The Jordan is that picture of baptism. The death, burial, resurrection. We're passing through something into a new life. God is calling some of you here this morning. It's time. You've been wrestling with this thing. You've been trying to strong arm God and God's saying, no, you gotta surrender. Stop running. Stop fighting. It's time to accept me. It's time to say, God, I need you in my life. I've been trying everything else. I've been trying to get the right job, the right 
spouse. I've been trying to get the right uh, clothes. I've been trying to get the right social status. But it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about him, and he's the only one that I need. He is the one that will complete me. He is the one that will satisfy. He is the one that will meet that need. You see, some of you, you want possession of the land. God wants possession of your life, Christian. You're all about a promise. God, I want the good, but I, I don't want the other side. So some of you, yes, you need to accept Jesus Christ in your life for the first time. Some of you need to say, my life has been really kind of all about me. And God, I, I definitely like your promises. I definitely want to claim them. I definitely want that power. But God, do you have full possession of my life? And God's saying, hey, you want possession of the land. I want possession of your life. There's a decision we need to make this morning. There's a decision, maybe some of you, it's the first time. But I'm here to say it's time. It's time to move on from the past and into the promise. It's time to make God's promise my possession. For some of you, you don't know how good the Christian life can be. For some of you, it's time to match my perspective with God's power. When I see as he sees Perception determines reality. Where are you at this morning, church? Where are you at, Christian? Where are you at, friend? Visitor? This is your first time. This may be the first time you've ever heard this. First time you've ever heard that God loves you and he chose you and he's drawing you and he wants you. Maybe the first time you've ever heard a church talk about giving your life to God. We live in a world that we don't like to talk about sin, even in the church. And I'm afraid we've, we've lost it. We've watered it down. It's no longer immorality, is it? It's no longer fornication. It's just an affair. It's no longer pornography. It's just adult entertainment. It's like we took this bottle of poison and we ripped off the poison label and we slapped on Hershey's chocolate syrup. Have some. Can I tell you this, church? The more mild we make the label, the more potent you make the poison because you make it so readily available to everybody. And church, I would worry if that's your perspective of God, that you don't understand that I'm a sinner before God. It's not, it's not a moral misgiving. It's not an oops, it's not an accident. It's a sin that separated me from an almighty, all-loving God. And this morning, I choose to give my life to him. I choose to come back to him. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask our pianist to come to the piano. And I'm going to ask everybody all over the room with heads bowed and eyes closed if you